welcome to How to Build a Tent, the podcast on how to make you successful. We have an amazing guest for you today. We have somebody on the show who started her own company from a project, from a class project or master's business school project, scaled her product, and sold her product. It is so rare to find somebody who is capable, who is smart enough, driven enough, to be able to do all three of those things, start a company, scale the company, and sell the company. Usually you have an entrepreneur, then you have a CEO, and then you have you know, somebody take it, take it from there and sell it and go IPO or whatever. She did all of it. She has a lot of great insights. She has a lot of great lessons for us to learn to be helpful. For those of us who are doing the 250, making 250, that is 250 individuals or people or families, I mean, individuals are people, 250 individuals or families that are starting a business with the goal of $250 in revenue this year, $250 a month in revenue starting this year. And the idea is to get you to start a business, to take one step forward, get your foot in the water, and to be able to get into the motions and learn about business and start realizing it's not that intimidating. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, it's challenging. Yeah, it takes perseverance, but it's not this scary insurmountable hill that you can't you can climb. So that's what uh, this show is going to be about. We're going to be talking about somebody who's done it all and her lessons, some things that she's gone through in life and things that she's learned, things that she's wish someone told her about. We're going to get into that. Before we do, we are part of the Fight, Laugh, and Feetness, Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. Go over to flfnetwork.com, put an HTBT in the dropdown, get a sweet 15-ounce mug, get tons of great benefits and you'll be helping us as we proclaim the Lordship of Jesus in every area of life. Go over to Kingsman Grooming Pros. If you can see the swag that we got here, you can get a kit like this. You can get beard oil. You can get hair products, beer balm, beard balm, not beer balm, beard balm, and, and leather products, hair products, all great quality products. And there's three reasons why you need to be going over to kingsmangroomingpros.com right now and buying some products. One, it's a Christian company that you'll be supporting. Two, you already use these products. You might as well use great quality products. And three, you get 10% off when you put in HTBT in the checkout code screen at the end. Three reasons. Do you need more than three? Christian company, supporting Christian companies, high quality products that you already use and 10% off when you use HTBT. It's a win-win-win for everybody involved. So go over there, Kingsman Pro, kingsmangroomingpros.com. If you have any questions, comments, you want anyone, anyone you want me to interview, email me, Matt, at howtobuildatent.com. Find me on all the social media sites, How to Build a Tent. And without further ado, Angela Mader. Angela Mader, welcome to the Casual Podcast Show. How you doing? <laughs> Hi, Matt. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming. I was telling you off the air, and now I'm going to tell you because you're on the air. You're probably the most successful person I've ever had on the show because you have completed what so few people do the full cycle of a business the startup the scaling and then the selling all s's startup scaling oh. selling <laughs> good was... points. you should be a pastor oh my goodness <laughs> bite your tongue <laughs> so angela would you like to give a little background about who you are for our audience before we dive into all of your accomplishments uh okay that's gonna make me feel weird uh yeah so a, a brief uh you know, I 
Hi, I'm Angela. Uh, I started a company in 2008 uh, called Fitlosophy. Um, and I think, I can't remember around what time I met you, Matt, but I think it was around 2014, 2015. I was running the Sounds business right. by then. Mm -hmm. um, really, you know, I come up with this idea in um, grad school at UC Irvine and uh, nobody thought it would work. Uh, and I think I'm <laughs> stubborn enough slash, you know, I was naive enough at the time. I think I was 28 when I started the company. And, uh, you know, fast forward, we ended up landing Target in 2011, which was really the game changer for the brand as far as, you know, um, distribution. Mm -hmm. um, and then went on to land Walgreens, CVS and some bigger companies um, along the way. And then fast forward to 2018 um, and I sold the company to a large um, consumer products company um, on the East Coast. Um, and so there's a lot, you know, I, there's a lot that happened in that decade, but that's the long and short of it is, I started a project because um, I personally had a need for it. Um, it wasn't like I was starting it because I just wanted to make millions or anything like that. I honestly didn't think that big at the time. I was like, well, I want this and it's helping me and maybe I can help other people in the process. And I knew kind of what I wanted to do the next day and the next year, but I never looked forward 10 years. Um, I never thought I would go and do the things that the brand did, but um, the, the best way to describe what I think was why ultimately it succeeded as I'm super scrappy. And I think you have to be scrappy as an entrepreneur, I think. Um, yeah, so that, yeah. that's the long and short of it. So you said a decade, but you met really like two quick years, right? And then you were instant success overnight. Yes, that's what yes. you meant. One of my favorite quotes by Biz Stone, who is the founder of Twitter, um, says, after 10 years of perseverance and trying, you will look like an overnight success. <laughs> and I love that because that's, you know, literally the 10 years time. Um, Nobody saw the years where I was sending all the orders from my, you know, apartment floor while watching episodes of Friends. Nobody saw when I was broke as a joke. I started the company the same year that I went through a personal and financial downturn substantially and had no money. Mm -hmm. Nobody saw those years. And so whenever you get to the end and it's like, ah, look at you, I'm like, look at me. Like, I'm so grateful to be on this other side of it because it was many years of not knowing if it was going to succeed or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we just had the Super Bowl. Everyone sees the games, but no one sees the practice. No one sees the work put in, the weight room training, the running and all those things. So you yeah. said you were scrappy. We're already going off script. What do you mean <laughs> scrappy? What do you like? What does it take to start a business or be an entrepreneur? What scrappiness look like? You know, for me, scrappiness means um, I have kind of two sayings um, that that I can kind of share because I really believe both strongly in both of these. The first one is no is never an option. Mm -hmm. So anytime I heard a no, I turned it into something else. So, for example, um, you know, when I went to Target the first time um, I tried to find a buyer, um, he wouldn't give me a call because he didn't receive my package. And I was like, OK, I'll send you another one. No, I don't have time for a call. I was like, well, anytime. And then he was like, I was like, well, I'll be in uh, Minneapolis for another business function. Do you have time for coffee? I wasn't going to Minneapolis. <laughs> I wanted a meeting with the buyer. Mm -hmm. And so I just, no wasn't an option. And that doesn't mean you always hear yes. But for me, no just meant try something different. It wasn't mm -hmm. like, oh crap, that didn't work. It was, okay, what do I need to do different? And then the other one is say yes and figure it out later. And by that, I think that's the, the purest form of my scrappiness um, in that, you know, a lot of times my team hated me after I'd go on a meeting with a buyer because I'd come back and be like, well, guys, we're making a calendar. And they're like, what did you do? 
And I'm like, well, they wanted a calendar and they wanted to know if I could do this and we need to go to production in three weeks. So hop to it, you know? So it was always, um, you know, say yes, figure it out later for me was, um, that's just how I've always ran my life. You know, for example, I'll I'll share the first story of how I ever sold a fit book, which I've told this story many times, but Mm -hmm. I had a fit book that I had created at home for myself was using. Um, and I went to 24 fitness and this guy was like, Hey, where'd you get that? And I was like, Oh, I make them. And I did not make them at the time at all. I made them for myself. And he Mm -hmm. said, well, I have a teenage daughter. Um, can I buy one? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, how much are they? And like 20 bucks. And he's like, okay, I'll have two. And I was like, great, I'll have a Monday. So I went home that weekend and I printed out a whole bunch and I bound them and I had the pin in them. And I, I still have those two $20 bill, $20 bills to this day, because to me, that was just, that was just kind of how I did everything. And mm-hmm. it wasn't because I was smart or anything like that. It was just because I wanted it that bad. Yeah. Can you talk about that for a little bit? Because I can see a lot of people thinking, hearing that, that don't do that, that just say yes to anything. And <laughs> they have a lot of fear and it probably gives them a little anxiety just to think about it. Like, I have to go make these two. Like, what if they're not perfect? What if I make a mistake? What if I run out of time? What if I don't show up and hit the yeah. deadline that I gave? Like, how do you kind of get over those things? You know, I think there are two types of people in the world. I, I I think you can learn to be an entrepreneur. I don't think that entrepreneurs in and of themselves are just special or set apart in any way, although I think we're pretty special. Uh, <laughs> but I, I don't think you can teach risk taking. I don't think you can teach. You know, I've had a ton of people that I've worked with over the years that wanted to start a business, that want to do things that are entrepreneurial. And the only difference between me and the person that you know, didn't do it is, is I actually did it. Mm -hmm. And it's not because I'm smarter. It's not because I had more money. It's not because I was, you know, had any more connections. I had nothing starting this business. And so, you know, when you think about like, okay, well, do I want to take that risk? Do I want to, you know, do it? My question is, are you going to be more upset with yourself later because you didn't even try? And that is always the thing for me, you know, even now in my life, I'm looking at things that like a year from now, do I want to say like, well, you didn't even try. You did not even try. For me, that drives me. And I think that's what drives a lot of entrepreneurs is like, it's not trying to beat anybody else. It's trying to prove to yourself that you did it. Right. Yeah. So, all right, let's go back a decade. You said no one believed it could happen. From my recollection, this was a school project that you were doing in your uh, master's which uh, UC Irvine was just starting their business program back then, right? Yeah, it was the fully employed MBA Mm -hmm. program. So at the time, uh, I had a really good job when I started the MBA program. And then I actually quit that job to start. I quit my first job making six figures. My mom wanted to kill me. I had a 401k. (laughs) I had benefits. And she's like, Angela Marie, what are you doing? And I'm like, Parents aren't always the biggest fan of entrepreneurs. (laughs) No, no. (laughs) And she would always tell me like, I, she's like, I'm just in awe of you. You just take risks. You know, Mm -hmm. she was not, my dad was the entrepreneur. He was more the risk taker and it drove her crazy too. So um, I quit that job to start my own marketing consulting agency when I started my MBA program. And so the only reason I did that, though, I I did love consulting and I loved anything marketing and branding related, but I did it because it gave me the flexibility to work on this project at night. Mm -hmm. Um, The project being one product, the first product I ever came up with, which was called Fitbook. Um, So as I mentioned, I just recently went and spoke at UC UC Irvine. So in preparing for that presentation, Matt, I went and found my presentations from 
2007, wow. 2006 and 2007 of my investor presentation. I think I had myself making 14 million by year three. Yeah, we were not making 14 million by year three. I'm like, oh my gosh. It sounds uh, good in a presentation. It's, uh, it looked great. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I found all these presentations. And yeah, so I um, basically used that product and that company as a part of many projects. So one was a design course, um, product design. One was part of a um, entrepreneurship course because back then they they had an entrepreneurship like focus, but not an entrepreneurship program. So mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, and you know, mind you, whenever I had this idea, Matt, like a lot of the people in the entrepreneurship program, they have like semiconductor, like really, like really brilliant ideas. And I'm over here with like, well, um, it has a pen and it like, it has red coil and they're just like, oh, you could tell they're just like, bless your heart, you know, bless your heart. So, um, but fast forward, that company um, is one of the only companies to come out of um, the program. And I'm not saying not to be braggy, um, but it is an example of how if you believe in your idea enough, and also if you use market research to find out that there's really not anything doing what you think needs to be done, mm -hmm. there's a possibility it could work. So don't give up because most people will not believe in your idea the way you do. Yeah, definitely. And I love you said this on LinkedIn. I saw a couple of days ago, maybe is like, oh, you have a good idea. Great. There's a million of them out. But are you going to go do it? Yeah, That's the big difference. And I get this a lot. You probably do, too. Whenever people hear about you being an entrepreneur or something you've done in the past, they're like, oh, I have a great idea. I got to tell you about it. it's going to make millions. Like, oh, so what have you been doing about it? Oh, nothing for the last five years. I just have it in my pocket. Yeah, but it's the greatest idea. And, I, yeah. you know, and, and I try to tell this story without sounding snarky, but it's really hard. Um, <laughs> so it was, it, say it. Uh, I am kind hearted. I just, I have a little sass to me. No, she's so, not. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I was at the very first trade show that we launched in July 2008, and we're at the Idea Health and Fitness Convention. And there's me with my journal and my mom and my designer and my investor slash friend at the time. And on every side of it is all these apps, app companies, you know, none of which exists to this day, mind you. It was all these, you know, technology companies that were reinventing fitness. And then there's me with my book, you know, mm -hmm. and and um, multiple personal trainers, not just at that show, but years continuing, um, would come up to me and say, "Oh, I have a fitness journal. Like I, I designed one." And I'm like, "Oh, awesome! Where is it?" <laughs> and it was always followed by well it's it's like in a spreadsheet and like well i, I kind of sketched it out or whatever and and my point being and i would always follow with if you believe in it do it and mm -hmm. mind you this is probably encouraging competition but i was trying to make a point that like you have this idea you could be sitting where i am if you just do it and and yet you know, we live in this culture where it's like we kind of sit on the sidelines and, and and throw our opinions at things. But like that doesn't move people. That doesn't change people. And it doesn't inspire people. What does inspire people is instead of telling everyone what you believe, go show people what you believe. So yeah, get off the bleacher and get in, get on the field the and start competing. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's good advice, not just for people that want to be an entrepreneur or thinking about it, but just in your career in general. Like if you have something you believe in, a process, a product, a group. Like yep. dive in, go for it, pour in, pour in your efforts into it. That's how you are going to be successful. You're not going to be successful waiting for opportunity to come fall into your lap. 
and it's just going to happen for you. It takes a lot of work. It takes risk. It takes courage and all of yes. those things. Well, like what you're doing with your podcast, you know, I've always said, oh, I kind of want to do a podcast. Okay. Well, where's your podcast? You know, you're doing it. You're, mm -hmm. you're showing up. And, and I think that so many people forget that it's not about just talking. It's, it's, you got to show up. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So we were in school, you had yeah. your project, no one believed in it. So what took it from your presentation that you're going to make $14 million in three years to <laughs> actually selling it in some kind of yeah. production? Because I, you didn't go to Target right at the beginning. No, no. What did it look like and, actually starting this company? Yeah. I mean, okay. And I, I do have to backtrack. I had very supportive classmates that were like cheering me on. But I know, and maybe it was partly my own insecurity, but I didn't, I didn't feel like anybody <laughs> believed in it that much. Like, oh, there's the Fitbook girl, you know, like it was kind of, I mean, I even find it humorous. Like I never believed Fitbook would be or do or accomplish the things that it did. And I never thought that the brand would go where it was going to go. But, um, but yeah, so I uh, graduated in 2007 and ended up officially launching the company in 2008. And mind you, I still had my marketing consulting company because if you know anything about most entrepreneurs, we don't make money the first few years. And, yeah. and while we were profitable year one, um, you know, I wasn't paying myself through the business by any means. Every dollar that I made um, went back into the business. So I did have a friend who um, was a really great friend of mine and he kept trying to buy marketing companies and he wanted me to run them. So he wanted to have a business meeting and he was That's like, well, I'm gonna buy this. yeah, he was like, I'm going to buy a company and I want you to run it. And I was like, I don't want to run a marketing company. I already have one. And if you want to do anything with me, here's my idea. And he's like, okay, how much money do you need? I told him how much money I needed. It wasn't that much money. Um, but like I said, I had just gone through a divorce. I was broke as a joke, Matt. I had just, I mean, I don't share this with a lot of people, but it's, I'm kind of at a point where I'm more comfortable sharing. Like I had just lost my house. Most people don't know that about my startup story. I was broke. And yeah. so I had taken on this friend investor and um, that was the way, honestly, I got enough money just to go to production with my first thousand copies. And and mind you that after going to production, I mean, it took me a year to find a manufacturer that would even make the product the way I wanted. It's very difficult to find a factory. And I have a lot of thoughts on that. So can you but, share some of those? Yeah, I mean, I, I do share and I have a, a download that I, I'm happy to share with people at the end of this. Remind me um, on my top 10 tools on like, these are just like easy things that are free mm -hmm. that help you start a company. But a oh, lot cool. of people don't know how to find a factory. And it was the hardest thing that that I found. Google is helpful, but not really when it comes to finding capabilities. Mm -hmm. um, I did stock Alibaba.com to find competitors or other products that looked similar to what I wanted. But I knew in the beginning, at least I wanted to keep um production domestic because I wanted to be able to have a closer eye on production and things like that. And honestly, the only guy that would give me a shot was this sweet older gentleman. He's now, he's no longer with us, but he had this company in Colorado of all places. Huh. And he was like, I'll help you make your book. And God bless him. I don't think he probably made any profit when he did this, like the first oh. production runs with us. Um, but he wanted to help me. And I'll never forget that man um, because he helped me get my idea off the ground and he would just smile whenever I'm like, mm, well, the, the corners need to be like rounded and then like, okay, but I want the, like, I mean, I was so picky, so, so right. picky, but I got what I wanted. Mm -hmm. um, and whenever we got the first thousand um, 
copies I kept in my in my closet and that was my my warehouse and my dog <laughs> was my assistant uh -huh. um, so it wasn't fancy by any means but mm. and were you by yourself at this point um what were you by yourself at this point just your yeah own? okay yeah I, I mean meaning I had um, that original investor was my right. business partner. Mm -hmm. um, so whenever we started getting, I, I'll never forget, um, I'm, I'm sure your audience isn't as familiar, but in, and in the fitness world, this woman, um, Lisa Lillian, had this uh, email list and she wrote many books under the name Hungry Girl. And she mentioned Fitbook on her Christmas list one year. And you, you guys, we had a thousand orders in one day, which wow. back then was I mean, I was sending three or four a day and that was a good day. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was a good day. So we get an order for a thousand and we're like in the garage, like packing them up, shipping them out. I was so grateful for that. And I actually stalked her down to find her at a book signing to just give her a thank you gift. I was so So you didn't know her and she just mentioned it because she found it all by herself. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, oh, and that's the thing I used to send out. I talk about branding all the time. I mean, mm -hmm. when people saw the company and the website that I built, by the way, because I was a geeky computer person. Now I don't want anything to do with computers. You know this. <laughs> um, but I built my own website and everybody thought we had this big company because I always looked like we were bigger than we were. And so many people come up to you and they like, they don't do this anymore because like one site I love is moo.com. You can get business cards for super cheap, right? But people would come up to me with their perforated print at home staples business cards. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, what? <laughs> like, act bigger than you are. Mm -hmm. And so I would always ship out product samples to press or anybody like that in a red box. So people started to know the brand by red, red, uh -huh. red. I'm actually not wearing red today because I just did a podcast in that shirt. But usually <laughs> when I speak, I have some sort of red on. My mm -hmm. phone's red. You know, it's because... You just create in your your customer and your press and in in your audience's mind like what to mm. expect. So yeah, it's all I part started, of brand strategy. Yeah, and I just started shipping out little red boxes, Matt, like crazy. Like it was. I'm sure a lot of press I got were because people felt sorry for me. They're like, "Oh, how cute! She's uh, sending out her own press." <laughs> but it worked. Yeah, so. it worked. That's great. That's kind of we were. I just had somebody on. We were talking about brand strategy from another company, and he was talking about how important it is to do that stuff. He brought up Tiffany's with the blue box. It's the same yeah, thing. You had the red iconic. branding kit. Yeah, yeah, and and I don't want to say I was that smart about it. I was just obsessive about details, and mm -hmm. you know, so many people say you know done is better than perfect, and I'm like, mm, I like perfect. <laughs> um, and and the reason because the details matter. You know, mm -hmm. the details really do matter, and you know, when we designed the product, this wasn't um, happenstance or, you know, just happened to be that the product looked like something Target would buy. No, the red color in our product on Fitbook was the exact PMS color of Target's red. Like I chose that color intentionally because I'm like, I'm going to be in Target. And I think if I had one tip advice of like where you want to take your brand, you know, I knew three companies that were going to sell my product. I had their logos on my bulletin board in my office, office meaning like my bedroom. And it was <laughs> Target, 24 Fitness and Sports Authority. Those were my three companies. Mm -hmm. We landed 24 Fitness first actually in 2009, um, which ended up, yeah, that that didn't they ended up getting bought and all that. But then we landed Target in 2011 and Sports Authority filed bankruptcy. So I'm okay never having <laughs> Sports Authority. Uh -huh. um, but know where you're going is kind mm -hmm. of my point there. So I'm starting to, like just from the story so far, it seems like the message is that 
you got to get out there. You got to try. You got to believe in it. You got to take risks. You got to have courage. And at the same time, look for those opportunities to capitalize on them. Because there's a lot of things like you had this really great friend who wanted to invest in you in some way. He had his own idea and then you brought him around to your idea. Then there's this person that just happened to see your book and mention it, which Mm -hmm. wouldn't have happened if you weren't out there already doing it. So would you say that it's like two things together of working hard, believing in yourself, putting in the effort and then capitalizing on those things that you can't control that happen? Yeah, I mean... You know, there are so many things that I, I like. I don't believe in luck and mm-hmm. and necessarily at all, but I do believe that you know, lucky people tend to do all the work. Oh, you couldn't see my quotes because I wasn't. <laughs> um, I do believe that lucky people are prepared. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was always prepared for somebody to say yes, and I tried so hard, Matt. Like again, everybody sees the yeses, nobody saw the noes, nobody saw the times that I was crying because I. I didn't get an account and uh, I don't always hear yes, but, but if you don't put yourself out there, you'll just never get lucky. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. Um, Chance favors I, the prepared. Yes, exactly. I love that quote. And on top of that, you know, I, I'm not saying I did it all right. I think that's a really important point. You know, I think I grew the company in over 10 years time to where I thought I could take it. You have to know your strengths. My strength, um, I, I honestly don't think I'm that great of a manager because I am really personal in business. Like my employees were like friends. Well, guess what? It's really hard to manage friends, right? Because it's hard yeah. to go from like, we're buddy, buddy to like, I really need you to do this. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't necessarily the best at that, but I was good at, I think, growing people into their roles and and really pushing people to do better things. But I'm also a control freak, Matt. Like. It's okay for me to acknowledge that because that's just how God made me. Like I did things to try to get better. I mean, at one point I finally had turned over all of my social media to one of the girls that worked for me and she ran it like a boss and she pushed me. Right. Mm -hmm. But for me to let go of things, I think that the people that take companies from, you know, idea to startup to launch are oftentimes very different people than the person that takes it from 10 million to 20 to 50 to 100 million. There is a difference in my mind between an entrepreneur and a CEO. And sometimes it's the same person. Sometimes it is. In my case, I'm a starter. I'm an idea person. I'm an innovator. I am like bright, shiny objects. And like, I want to do new things. I'm not big on maintenance or scaling or I hate looking at cash flow statements. Like, I mean, I can do it, but like, it's not mm-hmm. the best use of my energy. Right. Yeah. You're a marketing person and you want to develop products and those kinds of things. And I like things. the soul of a brand. I mm-hmm. loved connecting with my customers. I loved how the story behind what we created, not just created one product. So many people, I'm literally people still call me personally Fitbook. Like, like they don't even know the name of the company is Fitlosophy. Like, you know, you've done something really well or really wrong when people actually call you by the name of your product. Right. Um, but we went on to create over 50 products um, in 10 years time, which doesn't maybe sound like a lot to some people, but I mean, I literally wrote every word in every single product and we designed every single nuance of every product. And I'm very proud of those, but not just because of creating products, but because you know, to this day, over millions of fit books have been printed and distributed around the world. And all that means to me is millions of lives have been changed. Hopefully. Yeah, yeah seriously. Um, okay. So I, another thing that might have just jarred some people in thinking about doing entrepreneurship and starting is rejection. 
Oh. And wait, what? We, I, people will say no to me. Um, you take. You said yourself that you take this personally, like you're in, invested in this business, um, into your ideas. So, how? What were some things that you learned to cope with people saying no to you, things like that? We have to take a short break to tell you about our sponsor, Faithful Counseling. FaithfulCounseling.com/slash/htbt. They are licensed professionals on demand that specialize in depression, stress, anxiety. When you have problems sleeping, have anger problems, grief, family conflicts, there's 3,000 U.S. licensed therapists, four different ways you can communicate with them, text, chat, phone, or video, available 24 hours a day through all the platforms, mobile web, Android, iOS. You can schedule video and phone sessions. They're secure, convenient, private, and professional. Best of all, they're truly affordable. When you go and go to faithfulcounseling.com slash HDVT, you get 10% off your first month. That's 10% off your first month. So why not go right now, faithfulcounseling.com slash HDVT. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with the counselor you'll love. That's faithfulcounseling.com slash HDVT. Now let's get back to our show. What were some things that you learned to cope with people saying no to you? Things like that. It's funny. I... I think I took things more personally with my team. Mm -hmm. I think I'm really soft hearted with my team and they would, they could attest to that. I, I always wanted to have a really happy environment and we almost always did. It was like anywhere from like, it started with two of us. And whenever I sold the business, there were six of us. And, and I always just wanted to have this like family environment. So I took things personally there just because you know, maybe it's the pleaser in me. I just wanted everybody happy and I wanted everyone to love what they did. And I, and, and sometimes you forget as the owner that even if they love what they do, it's still just a job to them. They're not the owner. Right. Um, so you have to remember that like, uh, you know, no one's going to love or be as invested in it as you are. Although I have, you know, a couple key employees that started it with me, um, that I think believed in the idea just as much, if not more than, than I did. Um, and also believed in me, which I never take lightly because for them to leave another job, for them to put their family's well-being in the trust of me um, means a lot. But when it comes to hearing no and being rejected um, by retailers, by buyers, um, God, that never shook me, Matt. I was, it would fire me up. I, I mean, I would get irritated with myself because like, okay, you, you got to come up with something better. And, and that is how we always innovated new products. To be honest with you, the, the Fitspiration journal, which now actually outsells um, the Fitbook, um, it was created because, you know, Target wanted to go in, in another aisle with a different direction, not a fitness journal. And I'm like, okay, we'll do a gratitude journal. We could do this and this and this, but they wouldn't sell it because they only worked with three major distributors in the journal aisle. So that was a no, right? Well, what did I do? Well, who do you sell to? I approached two of those three companies and wanted to know if they wanted to do a licensing agreement with our product so I could get it in the aisle. Licensing agreements are never that profitable, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. But for me, it was product exposure and it was dual location in the Target stores, right? So we're over here in the fitness aisle. Um, And so that's how the licensing deal actually came to be. And the company who licensed the product is ultimately the company that bought my brand. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. That's interesting. (laughs) So you (laughs) would say that you take rejection as not really rejection or a no, you don't take no's as rejection, but more of it's a problem that you need to solve. 
It's a problem I need to solve. And I am very stubborn. I am a perfect blend of Italian and German, which means <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I am stubborn. And, and in so many ways, it's why I've been successful in some things. And it's why I struggle in other areas of my life. Mm -hmm. Because I just I want I believe so strongly in something. Don't think for a second that I ever wasn't just told no, like flat out. But for example, a good example is like when you go into a meeting with buyers and, and I'll tell you meeting with retail buyers is one of my favorite things because every one of them is different. Mm -hmm. Every one of them. Um, some people don't think like some people feed off my energy and my passion and they're like, oh my gosh, like they could like not really like the idea at first, but by the time I leave, they're just like, oh my gosh, like I'll buy whatever you're selling and, <laughs> and really excited, energized. And then you'll walk into a room and there's this dude who's just like, I just know immediately he ain't gonna think I'm cute. Like he does not, this energy is not working for him. He needs three more cups of coffee to handle someone like this. And so I approach that person very differently. Like I would say in some ways I'm very much an empath and that I can read rooms really easy. And which being an empath can suck sometimes because you take things personally sometimes that you shouldn't. But in these situations, that guy was going to want to know, okay, we sell this many units per store per week and we have these kind of turns on our inventory and here's your profit margin and we can actually offer you this at this rate and we're actually going to replace the item you have in there and make you more money and here's what your revenue can look like with our item in there. That guy responds to that in a heartbeat. So it's knowing how to approach different people or you will hear no. If you have the same approach for every person, it doesn't work well. And I learned that the hard way. How did like, you learn that? Like, how did you learn to read people and understand where they were going to, where you were going to have to meet them? You know, I, I was raised in small business. So our family's livelihoods were dependent on how many donuts we sold. Yes, I was a donut girl. Um, <laughs> or it was dependent on how many cars we sold that month or whatever. And so my grandfather and father both owned businesses and I, I mean, I remember I was seven years old when my dad bought the donut shop. And I remember wanting to know my first question to him was, do I get a discount, which is weird. Uh, but the next was, when can I start working there? And I think learning to work in the business, I learned how to serve people, um, especially in customer facing businesses. Um, I, I could tell when my customers were in good moods or bad moods or what would make them smile. And in so many ways, buyers are the same way, whether it's my direct to consumer customers on social media or whether it's being at a trade show, talking to someone that's struggling with their weight or in a meeting with a buyer who just wants to you sell more products in that aisle. I think if you go at everyone with this is what I have to sell and you should buy it, you're going to lose every time. But if you can read people and figure out what they're dealing with, fix it for them and you'll win almost every time. Mm -hmm. um, not that I won every time by any means, but I think being able to read how you can help that person, it's, I want to say it's sales 101, but it's really not because if you think about sales, I mean, so many people want to just tell you what they've got for you. And it's like a lot of times you need to do more listening. And that's why we always would come up with new products because I would listen to what the buyers needed and be like, I can do that. And then I had to figure out how to do that. <laughs> yeah, right. I don't it's, like that. it's not sales. It's you're finding solutions. And I feel like people that have that perspective in sales, even though it's sales, uh, they are more successful because it's not like I'm just spitting at, spitting at you all my products. And are you going to take one or you're not going to take one? But it's, hey, let me hear from you. Let me understand how I can help you succeed. Exactly. That's like kind of what you were touching on. And I think you get better for those of you wanting to get better at reading people. It's 
being around people. Like she was saying that she interfaced with customers in her donut shop. Like yeah. you get better <laughs> at reading people, interacting with people, the more you're around people. I had an interesting question, Matt, too, from a, a guy in the entrepreneurship program I was speaking to. And he's like, you know, he come up to me after he was kind of shy, very brilliant. Mm -hmm. And he was like, you know, what do I do as an introvert? Because I, you know, because he literally, I had way too much coffee. I talked for an hour and a half. I mean, <laughs> I was just like, ah, all over the place. Mm -hmm. Right. And and I could see this guy's kind of like lighting up at things I said, but he never asked a question. So he came up to me after and he's like, what do I do if I want to be an entrepreneur and yet I'm not your personality? And I'm like, God bless you. Because if there were all my personality, like I said, the difference is, look, there are people with my personality and maybe people listen to me, maybe they don't, but I'm easy to tune out because I talk so much. I was like, you, when you, when you talk, people listen because you don't have as much to say. So I said, but the thing I would encourage you is be more confident in what you have to offer because that confidence will come through. Um, but I know that people that are more withdrawn and not as outgoing or bubbly, that's not necessarily a, a drawback that sometimes is a strength. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Your words become more valuable the less you, yeah. the less you use them. And then there's me. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm like that too. Sometimes I'm like, was I just really talking in this group by myself for five minutes? I, I know. <laughs> I know. I'm right there with you, Matt. Uh, okay. So something you said, you had six employees and you sold your company with only six. And people yeah. must have heard that and thought, oh, you had like a thousand person company. No. Um, no. So we, and you said there's like differences from being an entrepreneur to a CEO. Like when was the point where you had to kind of change mindsets from startup scrappy to managing team and scaling your business? Hmm. I don't know if there was ever like a, a hard line of like when that was. Um, okay. I think over time I realized I was probably the one holding the brand back. You know, oh, okay. I, in so many ways, I think, you know, if you can't, um, if you can't uh, delegate, if you cannot trust other people to do other things, and and mind you, this is not because I don't trust other people. It is because of my own love for what I did. Mm -hmm. It wasn't that I didn't trust anybody to create products, design products, write. Um, it, it was because I realized, wait, I created a company. And, and if I outsource or give those responsibilities to the other employees, like I'm not even doing what I love, then I'm stuck in QuickBooks all day. Like that's not fun for me. Right. And so there were times where I would delegate certain things. Um, and then I realized I'm like, I'm just looking at financial statements and I'm, I'm not doing what I love. And so in that case, what am I doing here? Right. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I'd love to say there was this moment where I'm like, yeah, I, I need to scale this. I was always just wanting one more sale, Matt, one yeah. more sale, one more deal. One, it was, it, it was, and, and what a lot of people don't realize in selling to these mass retailers is it's highly capital intensive. So every time we won a deal that looked really great on social media, Target logo, Walgreens, CVS, homegirl over here had a really big bill to pay and <laughs> then had to float that for the next six months. And as a company, you know, didn't really have debt until year nine. Um, it wasn't until we landed CVS that I had to take out a line of credit, which I had to personally guarantee, um, which was super fun. But <laughs> yeah. I knew that the only way to grow it was to, you know, take that risk. So did you finance those things just through investing from investors or did you have like a loan or 
Not you do? Um, we, I had the initial investment in the business. Mm-hmm. Um, I ultimately ended up buying out my business partner years later, okay. um, not for any, you know, good, bad or indifferent reason. It was just, um, you know, was able to um, buy him out and, mm-hmm. and we're still best friends to this day. Um, but no, the, the cash flow of the business did fund. Um, and and oh, some great. people may yeah. disagree. I mean, I could have maybe scaled it to, mm-hmm. you know, 15, 20, 50 million had I taken debt, but I was also very conservative with where I wanted the brand. You know, I had a very large retailer, perhaps the largest retailer in the world approach me and want to sell our products. And I said, no, that's not on brand for us. I was very specific about where we wanted to be. We didn't want to be all places. And so that also helped me make decisions on what sales we would take. Interesting. And that had to, you know, take a second to turn that down then to say no to that. Or was it something you just knew I'm not going to do it? That's a good thing in having like, really strong integrity and what you believe is like yeah it it makes decisions like if you don't know who you are and where you're going absolutely and this isn't just business this is life if you don't know who you are then it's like uh, every decision is kind of hard i'm not saying i never had difficult decisions but there were moments where yeah i would get a decision like that and like no that's just not what we're doing right now i'm not saying no and never um but right now that's just not the direction we're going right Okay, so I think that's a good segue into this question of what is it like being a Christian woman in business? Like, what I didn't are mean some... to make that face. <laughs> <laughs> it was just a very, uh, it was a very. Um, I remember a conversation with a mentor of mine who is in the ministry space, mm-hmm. and I would always be very open about my faith um, on social media. I didn't care because I figured, well, it's a privately held company; I can say what I want to say. But I also wanted to be. Um, mindful of my audience. I had a secular company, right? Mm-hmm. But I am a Christian woman. Um, so what did that mean for my my business and my brand? Well, every product that I have um, to this day has a scripture or some sort. And I'm not saying slapping scriptures on something makes it Christian, by uh-huh. the way. <laughs> a whole other podcast. Um, but I wanted my products and my brand to be something that was attractive to all people, all faiths, all beliefs. Because at the end of the day, I wasn't selling products to bring you to Christ necessarily. My whole reason for selling products was to inspire you to live life fit. That was our tagline, right? Mm-hmm. But if in the process you learn to know Jesus, great. And that was a conversation I had with one of my friends that was a struggle for me. And she said, don't think for a second that you don't have a calling and God doesn't call everyone to be in ministry. But the fun part for me was somebody would like go pick up one of our products at Target. I'll, I'll smack you with some Jesus when you open that product. You may not know it, but <laughs> right. you are going to. And, and mm-hmm. over time, we developed a, a faith and fitness journal, um, the only one of its kind. Um, so I want to say from a product perspective, I did find it conflicting in the beginning. Like, oh, should I be more open about this? But at the end of the day, you know, I really was running a fitness brand. Um, I never hid behind my faith as far as something I was ashamed of. But Mm -hmm. I also want to be really mindful that like, what is my calling and what is my um, what is my purpose in founding this brand? But I will say it did impact how I made choices in the business. There were many times where I wanted to make (laughs) different choices. Um, Some people can be ruthless and vengeful. And I'm very fortunate that my business partner and investor um, is also a believer. And 
we just knew how we were going to run the company. When people would do us wrong, we still did right. Um, and usually, Matt, those choices are very expensive. But yeah. at the end of the day, I am not going to answer to a bottom line, Amen. right? Um, I, I have a much higher calling than that. Yeah, I think that is like, sometimes people will think, oh, you're a Christian. So you have, you know, these clear right and wrong decisions that you know how to make. Like, I, I think morality and what's right and wrong, secular people know too in business. Like everyone knows stealing is bad and embezzlement is wrong. Yeah. That's not like some, you know, special thing for yeah. Christians, but it's how you handle when people do you wrong. And that happens a lot in business, either a contract breach or, you know, whatever it is that happens yeah. a lot in business. And there's many times it can be tempting to take them to court or to fight back. And you, and know, you do fight, you do have you, a trust, you do, yeah. you do defend your brand. But mm -hmm. I think just as much as how you respond to when people do you wrong, I think it's just important how you respond when people do you right, like do right by you. So mm. when things go really well and, mm. you know, a perfect example is, and I, and I don't know how much of this is you know, my Christian beliefs are just how I am, like how God made me and made my heart. Like when I went to sell the business, um, they made an offer for the brand and me. And I said, absolutely not. Um, I have five other people that helped me build this and I don't want to do it without them. I don't want the brand to go on without me. And also if for some reason you think I've done this all by myself, then I've done a really poor job of giving credit where credit is due, which is not the the case because I I've always given my credit team my team credit. Mm -hmm. But that said, when things go well, are you going to share in the glory? Are you going to, or are you going to say, "Look at me, look at me, guys"? Yeah. And it's really it's really tempting, I think, to kind of bask in that. Um, but I can honestly say I'm I'm happy with how I handled that whole process. I'm happy how it turned out. I'm happy that you know my entire team was offered jobs. Um, I personally made sure that they were they got to share in some of the financial glory of it too. Mm -hmm. And that, that's not being braggy, but that's like, I couldn't have done this without you. Why would I celebrate without you? Right. Yeah, that's great. Oh, that's so awesome. All right. Last question for you. Oh, Thank you so wow. much for your time. Um, <laughs> we have uh, uh, my, my uh, goal, I should say this year is 250 making 250. I want to get 250 individuals or families to start a business with a modest goal of making $250 in revenue a month. And okay. the, the idea of that is just to get into the motions of it, to step, put your foot in the water, yes. and then we can talk about scaling and growing and becoming profitable. Just want you to get out there to get starting. So from your perspective, successful business lady that you are, <laughs> thank you. what advice or what would you wish someone told you when first taking that first step? What do I wish someone told me? You know, I think a lot of times I had to figure everything out on my own. And as much as like, I love sharing knowledge of how I did it and things like that. That's why I just started my new Instagram, like with all my few little followers and starting from scratch, just started a website because I want to share, I want to give back. But Matt, what built me to where like I ultimately went was I did have to figure out everything on my own. And that's what built the character and the perseverance to keep going when it was tough. So I think a lot of times, you know, so many people are afraid that they're going to fail. And it's like, but what if you don't? What if you don't? 
What if yeah. you put your idea out there and you make your $250 in revenue? And what if soon you're making $2,500 in revenue a month or 25,000 in revenue a month, right? Like I think so many people think small and I'm like, no, you got to play big. I mean, we want to, we want to start small. Absolutely. But don't put it past yourself to see your product in target. There are people that know how to get you there. I'm one of them, you know, like <laughs> there are people that really care. And I, I feel like I, I actually am writing a post that I'm going to post here soon about, we live in this self-serving society of like, look at me, look at me, look at me, look how much money I make. And I'm like, don't forget how you got there. And so I would encourage anybody listening, like reach out to people that you think might have some knowledge, but also when you get where you're going, don't forget who got you there. And don't forget to bring along people with you. It's easy to want to just say, look at me and make millions and blah, blah, blah. But that's, it's empty, Matt. It's yeah. empty. Money is empty without purpose. And and I, I believe that so much with um, all that I am. So really long-winded answer, but you know, just start somewhere. Yeah. Just start. If you don't, I mean, there's so many easy ways. And that's why I told you, I'll, I'll remind you of the URL. You can put it in the show notes. I will if you yeah. go to my website. I have this free download and I, I get nothing by you downloading this, but it's all the top 10 free or like really low fee ways to start a business because mo most people don't know to go to uspto.gov and search for your trademark. Cause if you don't search that and you don't secure it, you're going to have a lawsuit and it's not fun. You know? So <laughs> if you just go to my website, it's just angelamater.com, get that download for free. I share all those ways, not for any other reason, except I wish those are the things that I, it took me years to figure all those things out. All right. So go to our website, angelamater.com. We'll put that in the show notes. Anywhere else follow, you want people to reach out to you? Yeah, follow my little bitty Instagram that I'm growing. I, I went from the big brand to like, oh, here's me over here, over here. Um, <laughs> a lot of people don't know where I went. Um, so it's just the Angela Mater. I know that the is a little obnoxious, but it's the Angela Mater on Instagram. Um, you guys can find me on LinkedIn. I'm just right now, I'm just enjoying sharing and giving back and um, and really connecting with my people, which are entrepreneurs. That's great. Angela, thank you so much for uh, coming on. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Matt. Angela Mater, thank you so much for joining the show. I really appreciate it. Wasn't she great? She has so much wisdom, so much knowledge. It was so great watching her as she was just crushing it in her business. I hope that was helpful. I hope that you gained great insights from her. Please go support her. Check her out. Follow her on Instagram. Go check out her 10 tips that are in the show notes. And we'll talk to you next time. God bless. <laughs>